Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning. Actually, I should say afternoon, shouldn't I? Welcome to the call on this Friday. It is the 20th of January. I'm Nadine Blaney. So we will cover 10 stocks plus a stock of the day. Two expert guests joining me for the next 60 minutes. And those guests are Claude Walker from A Rich Life and Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital. Luke, welcome. Nice to see you. How's 2023 going for you so far? It's been a good start to the year, Nadine. Um, you know, I've still got some scars from 2022. Not not quite ready to trust 2023 yet, but it, it has been solid, uh, particularly in that that micro cap, small cap uh, space where where I play and, and Claude primarily as well. Um, you know, I think a bit of confidence has, has has come back to that end of the market, and I'm actually quite excited about. Uh, quarterly reporting season, which we should see, you know, really ramping up next week, and then half-year reporting season in February. Because um, I think so far, what you've seen are businesses who have come out with some, you know, decent fundamental updates. There's been buying support there, and, and and at times that wasn't there in 2022, as you know, the the wider market and macro fear sort of overwhelmed any any sort of fundamental positives. So, you know, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think is the best way to put it. Not not quite ready to trust it, but it, it has been a good start. All right, very simple question Claude hopefully a pretty simple answer are you sort of bull or or bear for 2023 at least the first half oh Claude I think you might be on mute we'll let you fix that and I will get us across the companies that we will be talking about today Renergen I always say that wrong RLT people in PPE PWR Holdings Megaport and Parenti our stock of the day is Aspen Group. Why? Well, I spoke with Ronan Barrett from uh, M.A. Muelis Australia yesterday on the Small Caps program. If you missed it, you can watch it on demand on the site. Now, he reckons that Aspen is a way to play the affordable housing thematic. It is a business with a $350 million market cap. It uh, really goes across residential, retirement and holiday parks and so i thought it would be good because i'd never really considered this company or heard of the company before to put it to claude and luke for their thoughts just for something a bit different so i'll start with you claude you can tell me if you're a bull or a bear quickly oh okay luke we'll go to luke first uh tell me what do you make of aspen group um, not one I was too familiar, Nadine. You might remember, you know, we were sort of discussing REITs as a sector a couple of months ago at the back end of 2022, and I wasn't too positive on the sector as a whole um, into a rising interest rate environment, and I felt that those cap rates really needed to expand, you know, in general. So, you know, when you floated the idea of Aspen as a stock of the day, I looked at the chart and, and I saw a REIT that, you know, was close to all-time highs. Uh, that little pullback we've seen at the end there. Um, I sort of thought to myself, well, what 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 are we sort of going to get into? But 
a quick look beneath the surface, I, I think um, what you highlighted with Ronan in the introduction there, I, I can certainly see where he's coming from. They're not tied to what I would call the problem areas of, reta- uh, of uh, REITs right now, which are retail and, and um, you know CBD office. I think they're two challenge spaces. Um, these guys are around residential, um, retirement, and also holiday parks. They've been headwinds and tailwinds you know, across those spaces um, since COVID, uh, benefiting them and also some, some issues that they've faced. But look, fair credit to management, one quick look, and it shows that at an operating income level, so you remove all those revaluations and you know adjustments to your cap rate and all those things that I think become trickier for REITs moving forward, just look at the income that these guys are bringing back to shareholders as a business. They've grown that so steadily over the last few years and, and forecast to continue into the future. So um, from a business level, I think it looks really interesting. The, the valuation, they've got some guidance at the AGM, looks at about 18 times earnings. That's probably up there for, for a REIT, even though it is probably one of the better ones in that space, less challenged than some of its peers. I would note, though, I think they've been quite conservative with that. They gave a trading update through the first four months of the year for 4.5 cents EPS, and the guidance for the full year was only 10. So they, they called out they were trying to be conservative around, you know, what does the visibility of the consumer look like in the second half on those holiday parks and tourism? I, I think they've been quite conservative. Maybe that comes in as a beat and that PE drops to 15, 16 times. And at that point, it actually starts to look quite attractive. So um, look, not what I've known too well, Nadine, so I, I can't sort of sit here and and tell someone to buy or sell it. But I, my quick look, definitely a hold if you're there and chuck it on the watch list if you haven't, particularly if you're in that, you know, if you are an investor who wants to invest in, in REITs, I think this offers a, a nice alternative to some of the more traditional larger players who could be challenged in those retail and office spaces. Interesting, thank you for that. Let's go to Claude Walker. Claude, um, I think to Luke's point that I think 80% of Aspen's earnings comes from rents that are collected across the properties that they still own, then around 20% from development activities where they build or refurbish and then sell the dwelling. Does it hold appeal to you? Uh, G'day Nadine, sorry about those issues then. Uh, Yeah, look, so I don't generally invest in listed real estate exposures just because, you know, I have, and I think a lot of Australians have real estate themselves as one of their big exposures. So I I wouldn't really wanna put uh, more money behind that particular um, risk, I guess. But having said that, look, I think that the the thematic of the more affordable real estate is probably a good thing. And I, you know, obviously rents tend to go up and one of the big drivers of inflation. So probably holds its own there. I think the only reason that I'd sort of stop short of, of being that interested in Aspen is because, you know, there's there's been a big, there's a big share price run. I don't think it is quite as, uh, you know, attractively valued as, as I'd want to buy this kind of business. Uh, typically, you know, they're not going to be a, a high growth multi-year compounder, generally speaking. Um, and, you know, as you can see, the long-term history of Aspen has got a bit up and down in it. So uh, now wouldn't be the time for me to jump on board. But if you didn't already have too much exposure to real estate, it, it's a, I mean, it's a decent little dividend play. The other risk that I would sort of raise long-term is if they've got uh, a lot of these um, sort of coastal properties and noting you know the most recent motel they bought in marimula i mean that all looks pretty lie lowing lie uh, low lying to me and i just wonder if there's some risk you know in the future that there could be storm surges and the like that might cause a bit of problem for some of those properties oh okay uh that's left field so this is an avoid for you if you if you were in it would you hold it uh yeah i guess if it was like a 
a long-term holding, I would I'd consider it a hold. Like I'd I'd still hold it. I I wouldn't change just based on the share price movement it has. Having said that, you know, if this was bought as a bit of a uh, you know, rebound trade perhaps for tourism. You know, they bought at the COVID lows. It's now like you know dub- doubled from there, which is a lot, a big, a big move for a real estate company. So I'd probably take some profits in that scenario. Okay, got it. Thank you, guys. So that is the stock of the day, Aspen Group. Let's get to the companies that have been nominated by our viewers, and the first is for Brigitte, and this is Renergen. And so we know that it is in uh, gas and helium and uh, basically renewable energies. Uh, I'll start with you, Claude, on this one. Yeah, right. So this is uh, not the kind of business that I that I generally look for uh, at the moment. It, so it's a, I think dual listed. It's a South African company. That's yeah. a bit of a, you know, something that would turn me off, I guess. And then on top of that, it's a very uh, capital intensive business that is also losing money. So for me, that's a few different orange and red flags there that would keep me away from it. And uh, yeah, like for that reason, I just I wouldn't I wouldn't go any further. I think for people that are interested in investing in this business, uh, then the, probably the way to play it is to wait until there's some track record of sustainable profitability, and then probably uh, think about it. Then you might end up paying a slightly higher price, but you never know. The uh, actual results might actually be disappointing, and in that scenario. Uh, you, you'll be happy you waited, essentially. And you might be able to get it at a much cheaper multiple. But yeah, five years of, of you know, back-to-back net income losses to me, uh, yeah, d- definitely is a bit of a, a warning sign. Thank you. Now, Luke, not every business is profitable to start. Clearly, unprofitable bus- businesses are out of favor, but you could miss out on some upside if you wait for that. Or is that just, you know, silly thinking in this day and age? Oh, no, it's the correct thinking, Nadine, and particularly, you know, this is an exploration business trying to become a producer. Um, You'd expect them to have operating losses, um, particularly as they're building out plants and and production lines and all the things they need to do. Um, It's it's difficult, um, you know, it's not a business I'd looked at closely before, so it's difficult to come to it and and sort of make a decision as to what does that future look like when they they get past this sort of upfront cost you have to put in place to to reach that sustainable cash flow generation. Um, just, Just one quick note because when I did look at the stock I found it quite difficult at first and and there's two reasons why one is as Claude said it's dual listed you've got to be careful with dual listings that you're looking at a fully diluted um, particularly the metrics around market caps and things like that Um, you know some some data providers will show a much smaller market cap than what is a fully diluted version because of those overseas shares Um, and the other one as well is they report in South African Rand so just be careful that you're not using an Aussie dollar you know, market cap to a South African rand profit or, or cost or something like that. You, you've got to make sure you're using the right currencies in, in your analysis. Um, but look, this is this is still early stage, small. Um, they're looking to do helium, um, liquid natural gas. There could be something there to do. But like I said, I, it's not what I've known before. It's sort of hard to really feel what this business looks like in two or three years. I commend them though for being one of these guys because a lot of uh, sorry, a lot of explorers. The whole end game is just to be bought by someone. These guys are going through the tough yards of you know constructing plants and, and coming to production. But it's a really difficult time for businesses that do that because you go from being valued on potential of what's in the ground, no one knows, and you know you could 
strike it lucky to all of a sudden people start looking at those metrics that we were talking about they want to start seeing revenue cash profits and it's obviously hard to deliver that in that in those early stages so i think it's one that you probably just sit on the sidelines and wait there'll be a lot of execution risk over the next couple of years of getting these mines online and it's just not not something for me that i'd take the risk right now and i think you can wait and, and still capture most of that upside that you're talking about before if, if it does come through you can still capture that in a couple of years um, with a lot of that um, investment de-risked by then okay so we want to uh wait on this one avoid it for now for both of my guests so now people in is the next on the list this is i'm just trying to find the name this is for hey, alex Alex wondering if people in could be reviewed. So not a lot of detail there. I don't know if Alex is already a holder. PPE is the ticker code. Um, look, we've got coverage by Morgan's, which is an ad, Ordmanet, which is a buy. So again, it's all about labor, labor hire, uh, recruitment. Um, and we're in still, as we learned yesterday, Luke, a very tight jobs market here in Australia. Very tight, and, and they're doing well on the back of that, Nadine. Um, the business has been booming now, probably for a couple of years. Uh, but even before that, it had a trend of, of slow, steady compounding, mostly by acquisition. Obviously, you need to be aware of that, that it's a business that will grow by acquisition. You take on risk by doing that as you get bigger and bigger. Those acquisitions have to get bigger and bigger. You usually have to pay more for them as well as you deal with more sophisticated, established operators. But, you know, fair, fair credit to management. When you look at the at the presentations of how they've grown revenue, but also EPS. So, you know, a lot of roll-ups will give you absolute profit numbers, but of course the dilution of those acquisitions, you lose at an EPS level. Um, these guys have had good earnings per share growth as well. Um, the one note I did have is, is when I took my first glance and, and looked at the presentation materials they put out, it looked cheap, looked about 10 times earnings. And, and you know, that's, that's hindsight looking, let alone the growth they'll have this year. There's a few ad backs to get to a normalized level that I'm not a big fan of, the major one being share-based payments. Um, adjust a few things like that. And I think it trades on more about 13 times earnings, which is probably a pretty fair price considering the growth you'll, you'll have. Um, articles in the AFR about potential for m and I have no doubt that if, as this business gets scale, it, it's something that will be looked at by larger um, uh, industry players. Um, look, I would hold it if you're there. Um, I think it's, it's one, it probably needs to be either a little bit cheaper or a little bit further along that growth path. They've got some guidance down the market. Maybe if that's reaffirmed at the half or something like that, it's another one I'd take a look at. But, but for now, probably just say hold Nadine. You know, that valuation was closer to that 10 on a what I'd call a, a real valuation rather than the normalized with, with some of the other stuff added back. Um, I'd be more interested as well, but, but hold for now. Okay, there you go. Claude, do you agree, disagree? What can you add? Well, I definitely agree with Luke's comments about you don't want to just accept management's normalizations and, you know, share-based payments are a real expense, uh, among other things. Often, you know, for a company that's doing a lot of acquisitions, companies love to exclude acquisition payments or acquisition costs. But if their entire growth model is continue to acquire every year, then that's going to be an ongoing expense. So definitely uh, agree with that part of Luke's thing. But the, the conclusion that he comes to is actually a little bit different from mine. Uh, this one actually, so I don't own shares in uh, PPE, but I think of the companies we're talking today, it's the one that I'm most, I'm most keen on at current prices. And the reason for that is, is look, I agree, I guess, with Luke's comment that, you know, it's probably roughly reasonably priced. It's not obviously undervalued based on the historic earnings. But why I like these ones, this one is because it has a clear growth strategy to uh, try to find, you know, employees 
in aged care and in nursing by going to places like England, Ireland, the Pacific Islands, and importing those uh, workers, uh, you know, to give them a job and allow them to immigrate to Australia. Now, they said on the conference call that previous to COVID, they had over 1,500 international workers on their books, and that sort of went to essentially zero, I think, and then that they're, they're building that up now. So there's, I think there's a lot of growth through that strategy that's possible. I think that's the right strategy, and I also think it will succeed because essentially, you know, that from what I'm reading, the NHS is not a great place to work. Uh, you know, not only are there protests about pay, but also there's huge strain on the hospital system. Nurses are understaffed. It's just demoralizing. There's lots of people saying that they, you know, don't want to work in that system. So if Australia can nab some of those nurses, uh, come over to Australia for have a new life here, then that's going. To, then this is a company that's actually going to benefit benefit from that process and be part of that process and make profits from that process. So as a result, uh, given the current situation, also given my view that you know probably inflation stays a little bit higher than people are now expecting. It seems that expectations have rolled over and now people are feeling more optimistic. I think that it'll probably stick around for a little while. So that's also another tailwind for this company. So whilst it's not a high margin, high quality moat business, and that's what I want to invest in long term, it is at least, I think, reasonably priced with a good outlook over the next year or two. So with the caveat being it's more of a, a medium term, short to medium term play, I'd actually call this a, a, a speculative buy, if you will. Well, we've got a specky buy. Who would have thought it for people in? Thanks, guys. Let's go on to the next company here on the list, which is PWR Holdings. PWH is the ticker code. This is for Connor. Um, what can we make of PWH and its uh, prospects, guys? Let's start with you, Claude. Thanks. So, yeah, this one's actually one that I own and have followed for uh, quite a few years, only becoming a shareholder sort of more recently. You look, you can see you can see from the chart there, it has big swings and ups and downs. At the moment, it's riding high at pretty much a record uh, P.E. ratio of uh, well over 55, I think, based on the trailing earnings. So this one's really riding high on sentiment. Now, what they do is, you know, genuinely IP protected uh, value add manufacture manufacturing of, of, you know, cooling parts is their specialty, but they can fit in. Initially, they got famous for Formula One. But, you know, they're increasingly expanding into emerging markets of aerospace and uh, the military. So I think that there's huge uh, growth pathway there for these guys over the many years. Obviously, founder run, uh, the, the results, the last results uh, were strong. Profit was up 24% uh, to a record 20.8 million. And the net profit margin is 20.5%. So this is a high margin manufacturing business, right? This isn't you know, some 5% business that's highly competitive, they've obviously got competitive advantage, which you can tell from their high margins over quite a few years now. Uh, they also have proved they got pricing power by already pushing through uh, two uh, price rises in the last couple of years, uh, September 2021, July 2022. So good quality business here, good quality growth prospects. It's, a, it's a, just a strong hold for me. It's rather expensive. It's one that I'd want to buy when you have those sort of market panics and it's a little bit more on even if you're not picking the bottom at least you know it's not one i'm chasing at sky high prices because it can have its ups and downs it's not a perfect business um it does it's capital intensive to a degree it has to spend years to develop new products before it can start selling them so 
it's not the easiest business in the world to run, but it is run very well and it has got a competitive moat. So for that, it's one I'm holding on to. I would say for holders, these is one of those rare, um, honest, competent, aligned management with good business, good margins, good moat. It's everything you look for in a long-term compounder. Therefore, I call it a hold. Thank you. Long-term compounder, PWR Holdings, Luke. I agree with that that take at the end, Nadine. Um, I think it is one of these businesses that you're looking to find and you're trying to hold. Um, I'm glad you went to Claude first. I knew that he owned it and, and probably knew it a little bit better than I did. Um, look, the AFR had an article the other day talking about what they labeled deep tech. And, and the point of that was when people say tech, we think of software. Um, but there's so many businesses like PWH where this is a tech business at its core. Now, it's not as scalable as Claude says, and there's a lot of capital that needs to come into it. But the IP around what they do, you see it in the economics, you see it in the margins. Um, so it's definitely a hold for me from that point of view. The, the one thing I would add, though, is you're probably about to go through a period of more elevated execution risk than, than what you've had maybe the last few years. So they're embarking on a big expansion in the US, a, a new factory here in Australia. So it's going to be a couple of years, maybe two or three years of big investment in the business, big capex in the business. And I think if you fast forward five, 10 years as shareholders, you'll see the returns from that. But it does bring execution risk. You're talking about a very elevated multiple, a very elevated share price. I think there's a case for someone, if you've got it as a larger weight in your portfolio because of that run, taking some off the table. But I, in the end, agree with Claude's view. It's, it's just not the sort of business that you're looking to sell. You want to be holding these compounders for as long as possible. And um, PWH definitely fits in that bucket for me. But you would agree that you would look to buy it at a cheaper price? Definitely at a cheaper price. I mean, um, it will grow into its multiple, but if you could get that down maybe in the 30s, it's, it's as Claude said, it's up in that 50s now. If you could get that maybe 30, 35, I think you'd be doing a lot. You'd, you'd sleep a lot more comfortable just because if they do have that little misstep, just because that elevated multiple, you'll see that you'll see that crunch quite hard. Got it. Thanks, guys. So that was PWR Holdings, and that was um, a pretty positive review while it's a hold. Now let's get to Megaport. Uh, look, um, there's lots of, of news always around Megaport, um, you know, when it's getting these sort of network as a service solutions up and running and, and you know, these contracts being made. But, but what about the long term prospects for Megaport? I think it sort of divides the market. Does it divide you guys, Luke? It, it definitely divides the market, Adina. It was a real favourite of, of mid-cap funds. Um, it was very popular at the Stone Conference a couple of years ago. I think two or three people picked it. Um, and look, it taps into what we love to find as investors, which is that, just that the visibility of a long-term trend towards cloud storage and cloud computing and the networking that goes on behind that. Um, I've always sort of been of the view of the, the, the narrative probably runs ahead of the business with, with Megaport. Um, I think the idea that they are a dominant player in that sector and will just extract, you know, fantastic economics over time. I don't know if that's quite the case. They do have competitors and in particular, um, the large data center players themselves offer similar products to Megaport. Um, but of course, there is a product there um, providing that network connect connectivity between data center providers. And um, of course, some customers don't want to be relying on just one. So Megaport will always be there. Um, look, they had their quarterly update um, a couple of months ago at the AGM. Uh, they reported a maiden uh, EBITDA positive quarter. 
look below the surface of that, there's still some heavy capex and some working capital movement. So it's still still losing cash. Plenty of cash in the bank. So I don't think that's a massive issue. But um, the view I've got is, is you want to see this business come towards profitability. You want to see those margins creep up to, you know, as Claude said before, someone like a PWH, who's a much more capital intensive business, can earn net margins of 20%. So I'd like to see Megaport start to show that fiscal discipline to where they could earn margins, you know, upwards of that, if not more, given that should be more more capital light. Um, look, I would hold it if you're there, just because you've ridden it down so far. It looks like that sentiment on the market towards these sorts of businesses has stabilised. Uh, I think management have taken on some of the criticism on board of how sort of profligate their spending has been. So I would hold it. If you're on the sidelines, I think you stay there until you see just a little bit more execution, particularly around that profit line. They've given you revenue growth for, for a long time, but as you sort of said before, Nadine, the market's now looking past that to the bottom line, and Megaport needs to get there, I think, before I would step in and, and get you know much more confidence around it. All right, Luke, uh, thank you for that, Claude. In your opinion, you know, is Megaport going to be a beneficiary as sentiment stabilizes around some of these tech names? I think it will be a beneficiary as sentiment stabilizes, but I also believe that actually what we've been seeing like the last month or so is that sentiment stabilizing. We had a period of rising inflation, rising rates. The inflation looks to top out a little bit. So that's sort of stabilized sentiment around some of these loss making revenue growth stories. I think we've had that stabilization of sentiment sentiment largely. Now, I think now the risk is actually inflation starts sticking around and people are like, oh, wait, hold on, it's not coming down. And we're going to find out how much the market's taking comfort from the idea that it's going to come down quickly. So a little bit, I definitely would want to be picking the best ones within that sort of loss making revenue growth uh, sector. And, you know, Megaport still, even despite coming down more than 50%, it's still trading on, you know, however you look at it, eight to 10 times uh, recurring revenue, which is kind of full for like, there are lots of software companies that are close to break even already, not capital intensive, have higher gross margins than Megaport. Any way you look at their finance, like their finances, basically, they look like they should trade on a higher multiple than Megaport, but they trade on a lower multiple than Megaport. And mostly the reason they trade on a lower multiple is simply because they don't have all of those index hugging funds and the indexes and all of those big players bidding up their shares. Whereas this is like the high beta growth stock um, favorite for some of those bigger funds that are, you know, roughly, you know, just replicating the index, but they're trying to have a few differences. Now, look, in terms of an interesting comment that uh, Luke made, you know, you have to be careful of these uh, stories that get, uh, you know, promoted its own hearts and minds. Uh, it's an opportunity for uh, fundies to get their stock on the front page of the AFR, essentially. In 2021, you know, one of the front page stories was uh, Fire Trails pick on, on Megaport, uh, and that's December 2021, more or less coincide, coincided with the peak, down more than 50% from there. And then the year before, if I recall correctly, one of the big ones that was sort of touted as a great story was Temple and Webster, which again... Uh, that that almost picked the top of that one and it's come down an absolute ton since then. So just be careful of these consensus uh, growth stories that have already run a long way and then they're finally getting on the front page of the AFR as a, as a pick. You know, I think you've usually missed the move by that stage by the time it's on the front paper, page of the papers as, as a hot growth stock. So that's where Megaport's been. You really need to discard the old highs that it reached. They were not justified at the time. 
And yes, the current price is much more reasonable. I think Luke's kind of reasonable to say hold because if you really believe in this story, then, well, you know, now the price, it could actually grow into this price if it keeps growing. But for me, it's, for me, a hold would be generous. And for me, it's probably, uh, yes, I think that the worst of the share price rises are, uh, falls are gone now. But at the same time, I don't find it compelling enough to hold. And I'd probably look for some other growth stock that uh, is probably better situated. I'm calling that a sell. Okay, let's get to Parenti. So Parenti is next on the list. And uh, hope that you are watching or listening. Nicole, don't forget, you've got to do your own research or get advice. This is not financial advice on this program. Uh, but Parenti, Global, what do you make of it, Luke? Um, it's interesting, Nadine, and it's uh, a stock which we've got a couple in the second half, which I'll, I'll put in the same basket of it looks optically extremely cheap. And I think that's the market's way of trying to front run where the earnings are going rather than where they've been. So um, look, fair credit to the business. Uh, it's the old Ausdrill. It's very much that you know, really exposed cyclical mining services business, um, probably more tied to exploration um, than production. Um, and so that's the real you know, the real cyclical part of mining is, is where these guys, you know, primarily operate. Um, that chart there shows it all. Very, very cyclical, very lumpy. Um, but fair credit, the last uh, two updates, they gave guidance uh, at their FY22 results, two updates since then, two profit upgrades, and, and not insignificant either. Like um, the last upgrade, I think, leaves them on about six times earnings. Um, that's adding back some um, amortization of intangibles, which I'm happy to grant them because, you know, it's, it's a non-cash that won't have to be... Um, uh, reinvested again. Um, that's 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 really cheap. So the question becomes, obviously, you know, why is the market pricing this a large listed, probably one of the easiest ways to play the mining services theme? Claude was talking about how big funds, you know, would sometimes think about these stocks. This is probably one of the best ways to play it. So why is it six times earnings? It's because the market's sort of forecasting this is likely to be peak earnings, peak margins for this cycle, maybe, you know, a year or so left before it starts to turn just because it's not the sort of business that just continually compounds like we talked about PWH before. Nonetheless, um, you know, I think at six times earnings, it looks interesting. The balance sheet looks okay. That's always the big risk for me. And then the other one as well is what is management doing? So the big mistake guys like these made back in the mining bus was they were investing so heavily into what they thought was going to be a multi-year, you know, paradigm change of investment in the space. And so when that turned, they were left with, um, you know, large fleets, heavy investment, stretched balance sheets, and that all unwound and many went bust. Um, at a quick look here again, sort of back working the guidance that go, it looks like their growth capex is actually coming down year on year. So, you know, I'm, I'm actually quite optimistic to see you're not having a management team, you know, taking what right now could be a cyclical peak and then just throwing shareholder money at it to try and chase growth that will inevitably turn. That's how cycles work. So um, I, I would, I think Claude said speculative buy for, for people in. I think this is, you know, I, I would sort of use that terminology as well. Speculative buy, this is not a bottom draw stock. The share price chart shows it. It is lumpy. It is cyclical. But like I said, I think at six times earnings, you're being, there's enough discount in that, in that valuation for, for where we are now. They're still in the upgrade cycle of the business. There's probably another six, 12 months left. There's, you know, all the indicators you'd look for of a turn in the cycle aren't quite there yet, but you've got to watch this one closely if you own it or if you do sort of look to pick it up at these levels. So speculative buy, I think, is, is what Claude said, Nadine, and that's what I'll use for Parenti. Okay, Specky buy is 
it a specy buy for you, Claude? Now, I know that you don't really like necessarily this part of the market, particularly those companies exposed to explorers, but it's cheap. And yeah, cycles it going in its favor right now. Yeah, con contract mining is definitely a tough business. I wouldn't have picked this as Luke's uh, specy buy on the show. Um, look, it's a tough one. I was actually going to say, look, it's a hold for now, but then sell, but looking to sell into strength. As Luke said, I think he's covered it really well. It's probably not your kind of buy and hold forever kind of stock. It is looking really cheap at the moment. You're in an upgrade cycle. With a bit of luck for holders, you get the next results come in and they have a good outlook over that after that. So because of that quite, you know, that potential to um, continue to please the market, you should be getting a little bit of a uh, multiple re-rate, arguably, just because the markets are often reactive like that. So... For those reasons, I would say it's probably just hold while this uh, earnings momentum is good. But for me, I'm not going to say it's a specy buy just because this is a you know notoriously tough business. It's also a net, uh, it's also a very capital intensive business, which is why you can see you know they can be profitable, but they're not paying out a lot in dividends and uh, or adding anything in dividends. So for me, I want to see if I have this kind of low PE business that is uh, you know. Uh, probably not the best quality business they do have a small dividend by the way but it's not big enough for me to be interested at the moment and i'd be looking for a, a higher dividend yield if i'm going to invest in a tough business thanks luke thanks claude we are at the halfway mark take a bit of a breather i'll get our viewers across what we've learned so far stock of the day was aspen group it is a hold for luke he says it's interesting on 18 times earnings uh if he didn't have you know, something like this in your portfolio already, he put it on the watch list. Uh, Claude, he just doesn't see it as very attractively valued. He says, you know, there's some risks associated with it. He doesn't have the type of growth that he'd be interested in. So this is a no for him. Renogen both say avoid it for now. So a lot of execution risk in Luke's view. Uh, for Claude, it's got a lot of orange and red flags, one of which for both of my guests is the fact that it is dual listed. We also had people in, it is a hold for Luke. Business is booming, but he's not interested enough to buy it, but it's a specky buy for Claude, who says that he, uh, yeah, is really focused on that sort of international workers component. It is more of a short term, uh, but still a specky buy. PWR Holdings is a hold for both of my guests. I mean, you would prefer to buy it cheaper, but in Luke's Words, this is the kind of company that you're trying to find and hold for the long term. It's high margin, it's got pricing power, it's a great company. Both of them want to hold it, but they would love to buy it a bit cheaper. So not today. Premise of the program, would you buy, hold, or sell today? Megaport, it's a hold for Luke. Um, look, he says that sentiment is stabilized. Uh, that it has sat up and take notice of the market wanting it to rein in its spending given it's unprofitable. But that's not enough for Claude. He just says, yeah, sentiment has stabilized, but it's still a sell. Um, you know, watch out for those companies on page 10, not page one of the newspaper. All right, Parenti, it is cheap. It's a specky buy to Claude's surprise for Luke at Meriwether Capital. Uh, but it's just a hold for Claude because, you know, we are at the cycle, but it's still a tough business and you just heard the rest of their thinking as well. So I don't need to repeat it. Uh, I will repeat that we've got the investment committee. They consider all companies that have a double buy or a double sell. So from both of our expert guests. 
Uh, the last one was actually back in December. Everybody had a bit of a break over the holiday, but today our fund is up by close to 12% on a cumulative return basis since its inception on March the 1st. So please keep sending in your request. We'll keep talking about it as well. And we've got a new edition that will be out the first Tuesday of February. They've got lots to consider too, because of course the show has been ongoing. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets, consider a relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, uh, let's get across the next numbers on the list. Best and last, uh, we're doing it for Scott, but we're also, well, we're doing it for a few people. We've, I'll tell a story in a moment. Mineral Resources, Ramsey Healthcare, Latin Resources, and Estia Health. So let's get to best and last first. Mitchell had written in a while ago to ask about it. And we talked about it just so you guys know by way of background on the call yesterday. I think um, Bell Potter had it as a buy as we start to see, you know, families rein in their balance sheets, looking for more value options. And uh, Scott does point out that um, yield looks pretty good, only trading on a six-time forward earnings and six-time trailing EPS. So Scott wants to know what you think of it, Luke. Um, similar setup to Parenti, Nadine. So it's, that six times earnings optically looks extremely cheap, but that's the market's way of saying those earnings are coming down. Now, retail is probably the toughest sector to, to analyze right now because um, best and less isn't alone. There's there's a lot of retailing peers trading on those sort of mid single digit earnings. Um, and some of them are still performing exceptionally well. Admittedly, the updates in recent time have been a bit mixed. Um, you know, Super Retail, and I thought JB Hi-Fi were fantastic. Baby Bunting and, and City Chic out today, not quite as good. Um, best and less at their AGM sort of flagged that they were seeing some weakness there and um, highlighted that that run up into Christmas is a big period for them. So we'll wait and see what, what their trading update looks like when it comes out. Um, but but that's the that's where the sector stands right now is these businesses look exceptionally cheap. Everyone's looking forward to what does that consumer look like, particularly as those fixed interest rates roll off. Um, you know, do we do we hit that sort of um, uh, you know tougher consumer environment? Retailers always struggle in that sort of environment just because of those the, the leverage to their high cost base, and, and best and less wouldn't be immune from from that as well. Um, there are some reasons, I think, to be more optimistic on best and less than than others. Um, um, Grady, I think her name was from from mm -hmm. Bell Potter, uh, made a good point that it, it is further down that value chain, and and you know you're less likely to churn your consumers away from from those that are the higher up and in the luxury end of things. Um, and, and a lot of their stuff, it's yes, there's obviously discretionary nature to, to clothes, but they focus very heavily on babies and kids and, you know, Claude and I both at that stage of life now, Nadine, where you know that those sort of purchases aren't as discretionary as what you'd like them to be, because unfortunately, they just keep getting bigger and need, need new clothes all the time. So there's some things that I think insulate best and less from that. To be honest, I think if you hold it, you continue to hold. I don't think the business fundamentally or operationally has done enough for you to want to go out and sell this business today. Um, if you don't own it, though, you've got the luxury of, of waiting. And, and to be honest, the, the trading update that probably should come in the next week or two 
um, will will shed a lot of light on where this business is and, and where this business is going. So I would wait for that. I would hold it if you're there. Um, but but retail is a space, you know, as investors, we want to be attracted to um, stories that are much more, I guess, certain. Um, you know, we've we got a good visibility of what's happening. Retail is not that at the moment, but that creates opportunity. So it's a space I'm looking at just because I know there will be opportunities mm-hmm. there. Finding the right ones is is going to be very very difficult, and that's that's the that's the hard part of, of what. So that's we're all not best in list less for you. Not right now, not right now. Um, like I said, I think you wait for that trading update. Mm-hmm. JB Hi-Fi, Super Retail, City Chic, Baby Bunting. The fact they've all been a little bit mixed says to me it's it's a hard place to play. If we're seeing you know strength across the board and that consumer was strong across across everything, you'd maybe have a bit more confidence about some of these beaten down stocks that they could see a you know similar result as well. Uh, but that's not the case. So I think I think you just wait, and and, and that's that's the benefit we have of investors is, is you can be patient, you can wait. Got it. Thank you, uh, Claude. Quick one on best and less, please. Uh, would you be buying this retailer because? Even though we've all got some pressure being put on our pocketbooks, we still do need to get dressed every morning. Yeah, so I'm not sure that I understand the questioner's idea here is that oh, like it's non-discretionary retail. Uh, however, uh, I, th- I still think that consumers' behavior can impact their margins uh, most certainly. So uh, if you look at something like the Rejects shop that has, and I, I know it's slightly different, but it has even lower margins. And it also has a, a long-listed history of, of sort of very volatile share price because its earnings are very volatile. And I think, look, we don't have as long to judge best and less on that. Uh, but I my argument would be that it, it, it's going to behave somewhat similar. It's, look, if, this, if you were going to pick, the reason it's on such a PE ratio is because mm-hmm. if you're going to try to pick the hardest kind of retail, this is it. You're selling $5 t-shirts. You know, all the boys' t-shirts have dinosaurs or cars on them. All the girls' t-shirts have princesses on them. The same thing is available at like Kmart and Big W and all of those uh, big players, right? So it's really, really undifferentiated, not unique. Okay. So therefore, I'd say even though um, it is very cheap, it's quite likely that in the coming couple of years we see a bit of margin compression there and um, I think that as Luke said mixed results at the moment as people give earnings guidance in retail we're still seeing some strong retail I think we have a deteriorating retail environment it's not there are good retailers that are cheap that I think are going to hold up okay so I'm not saying the whole sector is terrible however just as we're in that process of turning over from a really good environment to retail during COVID to a much harder environment for retail, which hasn't really hit yet. I don't want to own retail and I definitely don't want to own this retail. Like there's other retail I'd consider. So you'd sell it if you had it. All right, let's get to the next on the list. I'm just conscious of time here. My producer is most uh, certainly. Mitchell has written in about mineral resources. Mineral resources has taken itself out of the bid. Bidding process for Warago Energy saying it's just too crazy in the Perth Basin right now. But uh, many people call it best-in-class iron ore. It's also got exposure to lithium. Buy, hold, sell, Claude. Uh, I'll say simple answer for this one is hold. I remember a couple of years ago talking about this on the call. This company was uh, a fraction of its current price. And I, and I sort of, it, I really liked it. But I never had the guts to uh, actually buy it myself. I wish I had uh, ventured into out of my comfort zone for it. I think that there's every chance that over the next 10 years, mineral resources, it's already done so much to build its reputation. And I think that, you know, 
there's a good chance that over the next 10 years, over my lifetime as a as an investor, this company with with a focus on iron ore and lithium is really going to become a bit considered a blue chip in the end, basically, because I think that, you know, iron ore is a huge competitive advantage for Australia. We have lots of accessible iron ore and lithium obviously is, is that growth engine. Now that lithium excitement is probably responsible for a lot of the, you know, those profits coming in. Lithium price could go down in a few years for all you know, that could hurt it. But given that I think that this actually might turn into, you know, one of our more blue chip uh, companies, then I would say it's a hold. Thank and, you. Um, I don't see the super opportunity right now because obviously um, lithium's run so hard, but I, I wouldn't be selling either. Yeah, got it. The one that got away, Claude. What about you, Luke? Um, you know, Nadine, a uh, small cap investor, Claude and I, so it's not a stock I look at much. And I have to say, I was shocked at how expensive this stock was. Um, I was expecting to look at it similar to, you know, something like a Fortescue or even a BHP, you know, high single digit, maybe low double digit PE. It's, you know, 40 times earnings. There's a lot of optimism in this stock. Admittedly, you, you might be um, sort of cherry picking that number or I might be, sorry, cherry picking that number a little bit considering iron ore price had a, had a tough year in 2022. So those earnings were hit pretty hard. I think there's a lot of optimism on the lithium side of the business and uh, we've got um, Latin resources coming up later on. Um, That that, that lithium space is very hot and I think there's a lot of optimism in this price. I would actually, look, it's not the sort of business I think you want to sell everything because they've just executed so well for so long. I would trim some of this though if you've you've held it for a while, it's become a decent chunk of your portfolio. Um, That valuation prices in a lot of blue sky, um, which has sort of yet to come through. Okay, there you go. Thank you. Let's get to Ramsey Healthcare. Um, is this, uh, we haven't used this term in a long time, Claude. Is this a father-in-law stock still, if it ever was? Yeah, I can't remember, actually. I'm not <laughs> so familiar with my father-in-law's holdings at the moment, but I think it might be. And I definitely would consider it a father-in-law stock. So um, I think that you could argue looking at the trailing PE ratio, you might have a look at this and say, oh, well, this is quite expensive. Uh, look, I would just remind people that these guys have been impacted negatively by COVID, and at least the analysts, uh, the, and it was it's a well-covered blue chip business, the analysts have the view that its uh, earnings will rebound strongly over the next couple of years. And if they're even three quarters right, I think then this remains a good hold. And I definitely wouldn't, I think really for the retail investor, it's a lot of fun and good exercise to keep looking for new opportunities and try and get those stocks that could have a really good uplift. I also think it's good to have some blue chip businesses that are just part of the fabric of society. And if society keeps on advancing and and going well, then these businesses are going to be part of it and they're going to grow profits over time. I think that's probably Ramsey Healthcare's one such business. Absolutely essential that we have these hospitals. And um, as a result, it's sort of defensive. I wouldn't Look, we definitely need some earnings growth to come through, but I think that that will probably happen over the course of time and this can remain a good hold in the portfolio. So it is a hold. Would you be buy, buying Ramsey Healthcare now, Luke? Um, I'd, I'd probably just hold as well, Nadine, uh, particularly if you've held it over the last couple of years. Uh, you're now getting to the point where those COVID issues are starting to subside. That was the commentary at the AGM. So you, coming out of that, you should see those earnings normalise and that growth come back. Uh, but that price really hasn't bottomed out compared to what the earnings have done. The market has always remained quite, I guess, certain and optimistic that 
COVID at some point will will pass or the effects on the hospital system to a large degree will pass. And guys like Ramsey will be able to return to the, you know, some sort of normality, um, which which looks to be happening through FY24. Um, it's, it's probably, look, even for me, there's, there's a lot of corporate stuff going on with Ramsey, spinning off divisions. There was a takeover bid which um, got pulled. Um, so there's there's a lot of stuff happening to to sort of step in and say buy. That's why I'll probably just stick with a hold if you're there mm-hmm. um, and just watch that dividend yield if you do want to buy. I think this is just a classic yield stock. You want to be buying it at a at a decent dividend yield compared to what else you can find across the market and maybe in term deposits as well. Thank you. Let's get to Latin Resources. So it is a company, projects in South America and Australia. Guess what they're targeting? Um, minerals for a sustainable future. Who isn't? these days guys um apologies for my cynicism nothing against latin resources but you know is there anything in that specifically that would make this be the pick out of all of these different explorers luke Uh, nothing that i saw nadine it's it's an explorer um in the battery metal space primarily lithium um and my my analysis Obviously, a lot of lithium stocks come up on the call. It's it's a hot sector right now. That's no surprise. Um, my analysis has always been, I remember being on a show with, with Gaurav Sodi of Intelligent Investor. I think it's one of the, the, the better mining analysts, um, you know, in the country, in the space. Um, I sat across the table from him and, and he said, you know, lithium's in a, in a bubble right now. And at some point, all bubbles, all bubbles burst. So, you know. Whenever I look at something like that, and, and I agree, I actually agree with his take. I think all the hallmarks of, of what you see, which is, um, you know, everyone's focusing on the demand side of the equation rather than the supply side. Um, although I, I do know Goldman Sachs had a report that sort of uh, tried to prick that bubble a little bit and say that that su- supply will overwhelm, overwhelm demand quite quickly in the next couple of years. Um, and, you know, all of the, as you sort of highlighted before, anyone who has you know, a couple of ounces of lithium in a back corner of a tenement somewhere all of a sudden pivots to to exploring for, for lithium or battery metals so you've seen that behavior over the last couple of years you've seen it in share prices but to be fair the commodity price as well so look if you want to speculate in the space i, I just saw, i saw nothing with latin resources to say you wouldn't you know there was nothing wrong with the stock um but but just be aware i think that whole sector is one where i would tread pretty carefully right now Thank you. Let's get to you, Claude. Latin Resources, would you be putting your your hard-earned behind it? No, not, not at all. So I definitely sympathize with people that want exposure to the trends that they're targeting. And, you know, I can understand these guys have positioned themselves trying to develop lithium and copper, so they're really into that electrification trend. I think that uh, there's enough risk in trying to uh, just by say you know a mining company as as which I own one I think the only mining company I own is a is a little lower tier copper producer that has a lot of exposure to that copper price right I think that's speculative enough for me something that's just got you know some plans for mines they're going to have their preliminary economic assessment and then they're going to have late they say at the end of this year um the definitive feasibility study. Look, this is such early stage. You're paying an EV of around 200 million for all this. You don't even know how viable it is. It could, you know, this is these are a bit of a lottery ticket element to it. You, you can you could treat it as a long-term lottery ticket, or you could treat it as you're just playing the sociological trend towards investing in lithium explorers, which we've definitely had quite a lot of punting up of that recently. And if that's the case, then um, I think that that sociological trade is 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 done now, and so. It's about whether you want to hold that lottery ticket. For me, no thanks. 
Okay, thank you. That's an avoid. Uh, what's the copper producer? Sorry, I'm going to be nosy. Uh, that, that you hold. If you Google um, Aeris resources, yeah, Aeris, I thought it might be. Find it. Yeah, yeah. So that that was just a bit of a way to get exposure to the copper price yeah. uh, for me, and so I ho have a very small holding in that. Claude, I believe that you would not invest in SDA Health. Am I correct? Uh, no, I don't. I think we've discussed this yeah. before. I basically think that uh, aged care is really problematic place to have. Um, you know, I obviously I'm a massive capitalist. I love capitalism. Uh, I think it brings us a lot of great things. Uh, high quality, cost efficient aged care is not really one of those things. I think there's too much of a profit tension between these companies. Obviously, they get varying levels of uh, government support over the years, which can change with governments and policies and all that kind of stuff. And so there's you got risk there. Sometimes they end up looking quite cheap on a PE ratio or a dividend basis. Um, you know, and if but I think that the look, the five year chart tells you the story that these guys are supposed to have a whole team of management that are that are dedicated to growing the business and it's going down and it's a really defensive business where like demand remains strong and in fact is increasing. So what's gone wrong where you've got this uh, situation where you have increasing demand as more people need aged care mm -hmm. and you have the share price going down. And the reason is because this is a difficult sector. It's a really difficult sector. If you make profits, that's a dollar you're taking away from making a nice, nicer meal for the people under your care. That's a real tension there that's always going to be difficult. So um, I just, even if you do get extra big profits one year, then uh, rightly so, journalists and, and other people are going to start saying, look at all the profit they've made and look at the meal they served my uh, grandmother. So I think difficult one to be invested in and I'd avoid it. Okay, there you go. Would you avoid us to your health, Luke? Um, yeah, Nadine, look, I, I went and looked it up. Claude and I only spoke about this on the 23rd of December, mm -hmm. so I encourage the viewer to, to jump on the site and, and have a look. My, my view hasn't changed from there. It was sort of, a, at best, a, a very weak hold, but but more leaning towards a sell. Um, the business has been impacted by COVID. I will grant them that if you're looking at the metrics here today. Um, it will likely normalise and recover. But I sort of made the point a couple of weeks ago that, if you look at what the business has done at a um, operational level, like the amount of beds they have, um, hasn't really grown since you know, as Claude sort of said, the five-year chart it was it was about four or five years. It, it's been it's been flat. So the earnings have been volatile underneath underneath that with all the COVID issues and what's happened. So even normalisation, I think, only gets you back to where this business was a couple of years ago. And I ran, I, I went back and had a look, and, and that was about a, a four and a half five percent dividend yield and maybe 12, 13 times earnings, which to me, you know, you want to be buying this business much cheaper because I actually agree with everything Claude just said. I think there's just a constant earnings tension in this business um, and a lot of stakeholders involved uh, that makes it much, much more difficult than most businesses just to go out and, and generate profits like um, like you you'd normally would try to do. So um, I, I'd, want it, I'd want it a fair bit cheaper than where it is. So um, probably a sell as well. We'll put that cell on there. All right, guys, thank you so much. Just pause for a second, and we've got best and last. A hold for Luke. It is a sell for Claude. Don't buy companies just because they're cheap is essentially what he was saying. Mineral Resources, the one that got away for Claude, it's a hold. It's a hold for uh, Luke as well. Ramsey Healthcare, it's a hold for Luke. COVID issues are subsiding. Um, look, it is a hold for Claude as well. It's not expensive and it is defensive. Uh, Latin resources, it's too speculative for both of my guests. Um, look, uh, 
Claude offered up that he does invest in Eris resources, and that's about as speculative as he gets in the uh, in the resources space. And it's producing copper. And Estia Health, it's a total avoid for Claude, so it would be a sell if you're in it. And it's a sell for Luke now as well. So there you go, an updated view on Estia from my guests. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us on this Friday. Really appreciate it. I hope you both go and have a really good weekend and the weather improves where you are. Thanks, Thanks for having us. And uh, look, if you've missed anything from this episode, you can catch up with it online at ausbiz.com.au over the weekend. And you can listen to the podcast form as well when you're on the go. And if you've got any ideas or companies you would like us to cover, our email is open, the call at ausbiz.com.au. Stay with us. David Scott will take you through the small caps next. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.